0: a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together.
1: for joining us today on The Journey of Impact, a virtual fireside chat. This is Gino Borges, the host of The Journey of Impact. The Journey of Impact series is here to tell a different story of impact. While we naturally address some of the landmarks of the journey, this series is designed to create space for the uncovering of emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges and successes along the path of impact. It is less about the outcomes or results of our actions but rather the human components of what it feels like to operate in the impact world, illuminating one's inner journey. Today, I'd like to welcome Rachel Gerald, a catalyst at large working at the intersection of social entrepreneurship, community building, and philanthropy. Co-founder and CEO of Nexus, the leading international network of next-gen philanthropists and impact investors with over 6,000 members from over 70 countries representing families with a combined net worth of over $650 billion. Also co-founded the Survivor Initiative to raise awareness and funds for Holocaust survivors living below the poverty line in New York City and in Washington, DC. Welcome, Rachel.
0: Thank you, I'm so excited to be here and I love the work you're doing to help us chip away at that veneer that entrepreneurs need to be perfect and shiny pennies all the time. And be honest about our journeys, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the moments that make us stronger.
1: I agree. Well, I mean, tell me how um, you view yourself as a CEO of Nexus. And yet, I know there's a sort of a deep internal serial entrepreneur to you, a serial starter. How does that sort of manifest in being occupied, leading an organization, and yet having this entrepreneurial drive?
0: Such a great question. So people ask me what I do all the time. I don't carry business cards. And I say I'm in the the business of making people's dreams come true and making people's dreams come true faster. So I feel that every Nexus member I meet, and you become a Nexus member by attending a Nexus summit. There's no membership fee. Um, Every Nexus member that I meet, I ask two questions. What's your passion and how can I help? And my goal is to not let them know what my passion is because I thrive and get really my kicks out of being in the helper role. So I will meet five people in the same day, one whose passion is human trafficking, one whose passion is cleaning the oceans, one whose passion is impact investing, one whose passion is removing plastic straws from stadiums. They all are different, but I can think of 10 people each one should be connected to, a book they should read, a conference they should attend, an article they should be featured in, etc. So I feel that all day I get my entrepreneurial itch scratched because I'm in the business of making other people's dreams come true faster. And I created an ecosystem where I want everyone to do that, and I want everyone to see themselves as a potential accelerator to someone else's social impact dreams.
1: How is that done? That sounds like a nice intention, but when on a daily basis, how is that occurring for you and how is that occurring for other people? It's a
0: great question. So um, my favorite exercise that we do at our summits, and we do a summit every month in a different continent all over the world. My favorite exercise is where we get together in groups of 10 and everybody gets two minutes to say what is their project and what are they working on and where could they use help? They just can't ask for money. I make everyone raise their hand in the beginning and say, if you're looking for money, raise your hand. And everyone does. And I say, great. We've gotten that out of the way. We all know you want money. So now let's think with our creativity hats on. So my favorite exercise is these 10 people in a circle. Each person says for two minutes, this is my project. This is where I I need help. This is what I'm working on. Then for one minute, everyone writes on a card a way that they can help them. When you're coming to pitch in San Francisco, you can stay at my house. If you're looking to scale your initiative into Columbia, I know a nonprofit you should partner with. If you're thinking about going big, you should read Scaling, and I'll introduce you to Reid Hoffman. Whatever it's going to be, any way you can help, there's always a way to help, even if it's I will share uh, the work that you're doing on my social media. So people leave that exercise with 10 index cards of ways that they're Uh, Idea is going to be helped immediately, concrete ways, not fluffy, fluffy, I'll follow up with you one day with my stack of business cards. So that's at our events. We also do lunches. So we do lunches here at the Nexus office where people come together and they share their passions and we figure out how we can connect them to each other and to other people in the ecosystem in the world because we have summits in six continents. Um, so we also have a member on our team, Lana uh, Fern, who is our director of global community strategy. And she, her active role is to go into anyone's Facebook post that says, "Here's what I'm working on. Who can you connect me to?" And to look in our Salesforce on people who are working in Madagascar or who are caring about lemurs and, and and are right. And she'll write people's names there so that they get connected. So we model this all day, every day in our every interaction. Our office in New York often has two to three Nexus members drop by a day as they're on their way walking somewhere else. They drop in and say, hey, guys, how are you doing? I'm working on something. Who should I be connected to? Um, They call us less and drop in more. And it's like that old shettle mentality of if you walk in the door, we've got great ideas for you. If you call, we might say we're on a call. Um, But we've got enough people on the team that somebody will... I'll sit down with you and, and model how can we be better brothers and sisters towards making the world we want to be a better place happen now. What?
1: Where did the Genesis start? Um, I get the impression that, I mean, you've had this helper gene uh, mm-hmm. since day one. As soon as you landed on earth and started inhabiting the earth, there was sort of this helper gene that really wanted to express itself. Uh Lead us through that early stage of life where you realized that connecting people and accelerating, um, or you know, accelerating the help and accelerating people's projects became um, all of a sudden like wow, a large organization that's mobilizing thousands of people uh, who have a disproportionate amount of influence on the world just seemingly, uh, seemingly because of their financial wealth. Sort of take us through that history of yours a little bit.
0: I'll give you two answers. I'll go really personally deep for you. And then I'll give you the, the standard answer because I know what you're looking for on this conversation is for us to not just give what you hear on a regular stage. So the the personal answer is I come very proudly from a long line of seven United Church of Christ ministers and missionaries. My grandparents were born in Indonesia and China to help people is what they thought, um, find sustainable ways to have faith and to give them money to start farms, etc. cetera. Um, I also come from an intimate family. So if there wasn't a possibility for dialogue across religions and cultures, I wouldn't be here. Um, so I've always seen myself as a person who is meant to and uniquely positioned to hold space for all beliefs and all practices and backgrounds and find that a way for them to figure out not the hurdles, but where are their seminal- similarities, where are their commonalities and how can they help each other. Um, so that's my kind of deep personal answer. Um, coming from the helper gene and how Nexus got started, I was working for an amazing woman named the ambassador Nancy Rubin, who is the ambassador to the UN for human rights. And We together saw the power that the UN has is amazing, but it is slow. There are a lot of meetings about meetings and then meetings about meetings that are going to happen in September, which are big meetings where they make decisions that then take a year to be enacted. And then once there is a resolution, it's still left to the country to decide how much really they're going to comply. And so in that work with her, Seeing where the UN is most effective, I can tell you it's most effective post-disaster, post-conflict, in dropping in food and medical supplies. But during conflict, we all know Rwanda, people were being killed by machetes by their neighbors, and UN peacekeepers were there. But they are peacekeepers. And if they can't keep peace, then they just say, we failed today. But they don't actually go in and stop. So I had an idea with my co-founder, Jonah that we would reserve a room at the UN, which was a chief skill of mine at the time. And um, we would cold call the Forbes 500 list and say, you're each invited to send one member of your family uh, to represent the next generation of great influential families. And it should be person under 40. And we don't care if they've had a social impact background before or not, because they're here to learn about all the ways they could think about helping. And then we also included two-thirds ultra high net worth and one-third really successfully already recognized social entrepreneurs. So people through Echoing Green or Ashoka or Acumen who had already received uh, success and would be ready should they uh, find themselves in the position where their entrepreneurial endeavor was going to be catalyzed. And we took a wild shot. We had a free summit. We had a day at the UN and 350 people showed up. And we kind of looked around like, This is Rachel and Jonah at the UN and no one else is here. Why did these people come? But we quickly realized as entrepreneurs do that you have to take it till you make it. And so we said, welcome, welcome to our first ever annual summit, um, which was never intended to have a second one. And um, people sat by country. And so we'd have a a royal from a certain country sitting next to someone whose village had saved money for them to have their first pair of shoes ever to be at that summit. And they talked all day together and they learned about what's happening in the slums or what's happening with women's rights. And these people would never have reason to meet in their own country. They never have reason to meet on a plane from their country because they sat in different classes. But at Nexus, we put no affiliations on your name tags and we put no country that you're from and we put no HRH if you're, royal. And so we we say that every currency is a currency of philanthropy. And you're here because you're uniquely positioned to help. Your job, your investigative journey is to figure out how you can help. But you're not allowed to solicit. So no one can ask anyone for money. And because of that, we removed that kind of uncomfortability from the room and made everyone just see that their goal is to figure out how can they help. Um, And we found out by the end that $10 million had been donated from people to people, um, not by because people asked, but so because people got really excited, um, people people ended up getting married and getting engaged and, and having babies from that first event. Um, they ended up moving in with each other uh, as roommates. There's a Nexus house in New York for a while. And then the most important thing is they got in a line at the end of the day, and I naively you know, thought that they were coming to thank us. No, no. Um, they were coming to say, this is really great, but there aren't enough people from Africa here. This is really wonderful, but Australia is really underrepresented. You've got the the standard families, but not the ones who are up and coming. And so I said, okay, I think I better quit my job. I see what's happening. We've given birth to a movement, but you are all the people I know, and you're all the richest people who took my call. So I now need you to invite your networks if this is going to be a movement. And now we're nine years later. We've done forty summits around the world with heads of state all over. I still get chills when I get a call from a head of state, and I think, "Why are they calling me? I was the secretary of the UN." But then I realize that Nexus isn't me. Nexus is us. Nexus is the spirit of how do we help each other. And governments want to help just the same way that that individuals do and entrepreneurs do.
1: Now, so, do you come from a family of wealth, uh, Rachel?
0: Only in terms of hugs. Uh, Here yeah. really high I'm on the hug uh, currency raider. Um, so I I come from a father who was a um, a graduate student when I was born and eventually became a psychologist. Um, and I'm sane, which is amazing to be the child of a psychologist and be sane. Um, my mother was a dancer, a modern dancer with Bruce Cunningham, and she then became a um, stay at home mom. So I I uh, have had the great privilege of having a second family. Um, which is the ambassador that I worked for, Nancy Rubin and her husband Miles Rubin. I started working for them right out of college. They do um, have a great foundation; are incredibly philanthropic and well connected uh, in almost every country. And I worked for them for eight years in every capacity you could imagine, um, and and learned so so much about how to be responsible and how to be. Um, effective in using your influence, your stature, your name, your title, and your wealth um, and your connections. And I realized that the wealth was the least most influential thing that they had and they could do that when they had an event for a politician, when they uh, would call musicians to do a concert for a cause uh, things like this, when they decided to break stigma around mental health and, 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 host breaking the stigma award dinners. These types of things made much bigger news when um, Miles Rubin started the first ever electric car in 10 years and and invested in all the technologies of it, which were then adopted by other companies. Those remain way more powerful than writing checks. And so I learned through them that influence and connections can be way stronger accelerators than capital itself.
1: Mm -hmm. Where's the current challenges for you right now in terms of, um, you know, you, you talk about Nexus as we, and not me, uh, but on a day-to-day basis, I mean, you still are running a large organization. um, A lot of, um, a lot of different people all over the globe. You just um, offline, you shared a story about uh, going down to Ecuador and you just got back. And in terms of the tension down there, but when, What's the last moment where you woke up and goes, wow, this is actually much harder than I expected. And I'm sort of, I really don't know where to go with this.
0: I think I'm really lucky and this isn't a cop out, but if I made a five-year plan for Nexus, we probably would have hosted five summits at the UN. Um, But instead I believe in responsive leadership. And so um, people might say, what's Nexus doing there? They're doing something different every year. Um, and that's true. And that's because we're growing at an organic rate based on the interests and the needs and the demands of our members. So I'm really glad I didn't make a five-year plan because <coughs> we would have posted five summits instead of 40. Um, but it is really interesting having to surrender fully to listening to our working group leaders. We have working groups on different issues and where they want to go and what they want to do and how do we support them. And our regional leaders who host our summits in different countries around the world and what do they want their themes to be. And my job is to listen and learn from them. So I don't ever say that it's, I would never say, oh, today was so hard, I'm so stuck. I'd say, wow, I wonder how on earth we're going to get this done. Um, And then we all come together and do it. So I wondered very hard how we were going to get our members safe in Ecuador during the midst of uh, a state of national emergency where last week where we had tanks and tear gas in the street and people who couldn't get out of their building and we were sheltering in place. I didn't know how we were going to leave that room. People hadn't been fed or had water for
1: 11 hours,
0: but, but we made it. Uh, David Dietz on my team rode in a trunk. Um, I rode rode in a car on the floor of the backseat where your feet go under someone's feet, but we all made it. Um, So it's, it's interesting. Um, When we look at our working groups, we look at our working group on, on human trafficking or unequal justice. And they try to rally our heirs to hotel fortunes and are, and are, are trying to look at divestment from financial institutions to support private prisons and support uh, the detention centers. And these are not things that I wake up thinking about, but I get a phone call and they say, Nexus needs to get on this. We need to create a letter for shareholder activism. We need to create a way to remove single-use plastics from all the stadiums. And then we go into our database and we find out 66 Nexus members' families own stadiums in the U.S. And if they all were to remove single-use plastics, we'd be making a huge difference. Let's try to get single-use plastics out of the Super Bowl. That's what our members said to us. So it's not so much what do I think the greatest challenge is. It's that every day there's members with new ideas, but they help each other. And they form coalitions and task forces, and, and they show up in ways that I could never have dreamed. So it's hard But it's ever changing, and the hard part is just figuring out where. What do we prioritize? I think, and the answer so far has been everything. (laughs) And one day maybe we'll need to uh, have a better priority scale. But um, I'll I'll tell you a a story that um, at the end of August, a Nexus member named Rupert, whose family owns 80% of the land in Grand Bahama, wrote on our Facebook page and said, "Help! My Prime Minister is saying." that no support in foreign aid is needed, but on two-thirds underwater, our port is destroyed, our airport is destroyed. We have 2,300 people missing. And Nexus members, do you have helicopters, yachts, or uh, private planes? Can you land? Despite the prime minister, are you willing to come despite him saying it's a no-fly zone? And we sent over 50 yachts, our members. Uh, we sent five Black Hawk helicopters to so look, do search and rescue to save people out of the rubble. And we send back and forth um, 55 yachts and 20 planes full of supplies, medical supplies, generators, water, etc. And and this was not something the day before. That if you would have asked me, does Nexus do disaster relief? I would have said no. Um, so so hard is a funny word, but but mercurial is a good one. We we're completely responsive. We we change with the needs of our members, and and it's the greatest joy just watching them step up for each other. When the Bahamas happened, I was in Mexico visiting a Nexus member. And, um, and I was watching it unfold and, and, uh, I sprinkled a little fairy dust and made a few phone calls for people, but, um, but, but 85% of it was our team and our members and our COO, Liza was manning seaplanes and sea pilots. That's not her job, um, but telling them when and where they could land so that they weren't just all circling and running out of fuel. I mean, we really just spring into action to support any of our members. And we believe that by modeling that others will do so for each other.
1: So let's talk about this idea that, I mean, you're, uh, from what I understand, your genesis really began with the idea that there's a certain amount of inertia within the system that can't respond in real time or really misses the opportunity uh, yes. as well. So let's just actually use that as a backdrop and that all systems have a certain amount of inertia and invested stakeholders who don't want it to move any quicker. Who who have a um, financial, um, ideological, for whatever reason, political reasons for it to um, to pump the brakes, uh, let's say. How do you typically? I mean, you mentioned your example of landing helicopters when all of a sudden there's no fly zone. But let's bring it back to the states when where there's an enormous amount of tension and partisan tension. These are not neutral issues all the time that, I mean, Nexus takes up. There's vested interest. There's the plastic industry that's definitely not interested in shrinking their plastic footprint. All right. So we know that. We know that they hire lobbies to beat down city council ordinances, state ordinances to ban plastics and so forth. How do you typically, um, and I think I know where you might go with this. But how do you typically deal with that kind of inevitable industrial pushback um, on these particular issues?
0: I think people underestimate the power of connection and of love um, to combat all of the dinosaur industries that don't want to move or move super slowly. There's no better phone call that a grandparent has ever received who's the CEO of a company that bears their name, Then their grandchild saying, hi, Grandpa, how you doing? Um, I recently learned that we're using 180 million pounds of plastics in our stadium. And this goes against everything I want to see for the future of the world. And it means that in 20 years, there'll be more plastic in the ocean than water. And this stadium bears our name. And I'm not proud of it. And I want to work with you. With Nexus and with Accenture and with the alternatives that they found, let's do this together, Grandpa. You and me, let's make our name mean something. Let's make our legacy be real. And let's make money while we do it because Nexus has found a way to incentivize you to make money when you use alternatives to plastics. So I think that whereas, let's take Mercedes-Benz Stadium as an example, whereas it would have taken... Decades probably to push through the changes through Atlantis Stadiums or, or Miami Stadiums, the Hard Rock Stadium. It would have taken decades to push through the ownership levels, to the team levels, to the general managers, to the suppliers, to Airmark, to everyone else. We just have people call and say, All you want is for me to make your legacy one of positivity for our family. And I want to do it with you. And I found a creative way. And and I'm telling you, we can leapfrog past all the bureaucracy through love and positivity. And and I just don't see it. We've seen it with hotels. We've seen it with hotels that are no longer um, privately held, that are publicly now traded uh, companies, but that bear the name of the hotel family. And we've seen the family member call their parent or grandparent and say, I'm not proud of the number of trafficking cases that happened in our hotels last year. And I know that we don't have anything to do with it, but our foundation could offer an incentive to housekeeping staff to report uh, suspicion of trafficking. And our foundation is doing that. And then they report it, the hotel company benefits, their stock will go up and we ease our our conscience because it bears our name. So we, we, we see what you're saying, the bureaucracy and, and the lobbies and and I just think that non-traditional ways and working through families and then using the pressure of if three hotel heirs say that to their families and their families say we're in with you. The fourth one says, dad, I can't go back and say our family wasn't the one who was going to do it. That's a story waiting to happen. Someone's going to call the New York Times. And, you know, so so using social pressure as a as a generation and then working up the generation, there's no grandparent parent on earth with Five dollars in the pocket or 500 millions who didn't want a call from their kids saying, I want your legacy and our work to mean something for generations. So I just think that um, I see it all. I see the bureaucracy and I see that we can just make it all disappear and go outside of it. And I'm sure people who are in titles of CEO or CMO or whoever else are wondering, where did this idea come from and why is it our priority? Um, But they're not my priority.
1: That's beautiful. I have, um, I mean, it's a very thoughtful approach. It's a very thoughtful approach. And do you sort of, what um, what are you seeing with the under 40 crowd in terms of how they want to live in the world? And how are they living in the world relative to their previous generations? And specifically in terms of like Nexus members who have a real fortunate status. In ter- financial status, I should put a caveat on. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to say something controversial. Um, This could get picked up, probably. Um, I went for a long time where I was waking up every morning and saying gratitude for Donald Trump. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I have a lot of opinions about Donald Trump. But I saw people of a generation of influence and means who, for the first time realized that it was on them to have a stake in the game. They marched in the streets, but I said to next members, if you think that marching in the streets was the best you could do to make change, then I'm glad you did it. But if you know that you can reach out to a family member who's a CEO or a senator or a governor or a, a major, a major journalist, you have an additional responsibility now, and you can raise awareness about all sorts of issues that matter to you that matter to women's rights or immigrant rights or whatever it might be. Um, redistricting and getting prisoners the right to vote, whatever it is, these are not my causes. These are members who are saying, I care about these things. And I said, you have the opportunity to change them. And you were sitting on the sidelines under a wonderful you know, president that you felt held your best interests in heart. And we're going to go through ebbs and flows of the next 80 years together. We're all going to live, I believe now to 120. So we're all biohacking and, and getting stem cells to make sure of it. So we, as a generation of great means and influence in Nexus, have the opportunity to have more power and influence than any president who comes and goes in four or eight years. But it's time to step into that power, and it's time to start asking your parents, what do you want for your birthday? Do you want a Birkin bag or a Ferrari? No, I want to see the actual pay rate of men and women in the same jobs in our company." And um, I want you to use your birthday. I want you to use Christmas. And instead of saying, I want, you know, to go on a ski holiday, I want you to say for Christmas, I want to find out the top five holdings in our foundation and see if we can change them to be holdings that are not supporting uh, tobacco or big pharma or or any uh, holding that might be supporting and empowering detention centers. So we are getting our members to get really excited about their influence. And it's not their capital yet. Yes, they live in nice houses and have access to to flying in first class, but they they don't yet have the big purse strings. But I tell them, do not wait. You have the influence now and use it. Because as you use your influence, you'll grow into people and your family trusting you to actually have a say in your foundation and in your assets. even more so, I'm seeing our members using their purchasing power. They're starting to recognize that every dollar they spend is a vote, a vote for Patagonia or a vote for fast fashion, a vote for a local farmer's market or a vote for a giant supermarket chain. And so they're thinking about every choice they make and what they wear and what they buy and how they fly and how they travel if they use Airbnb, if they use Zipcar or Uber versus owning cars, if they're buying electric cars. I think that the idea of living your values is one that is completely integrated into this generation now for people of means and influence and not a day goes by that they're making a decision to, to spend money or time on a company that they don't feel embodies their values. It's very inspiring,
1: actually. It's super inspiring because um, a lot of people can't find hope for agency within the current um, systems um, for a variety of reasons. And essentially what I hear you saying is, is that you're really activating network power and love. And people, are, when privately communed with, really do want to do the right things regardless of their political labeling. But there is something, like you said, about, you know, grandpa receiving the call from his 13-year-old um, granddaughter and her just being, you know, just like any teenager can be just extremely blunt because they don't know anything else. They're like, why are we doing this? Right. And just, it's that's and it's sort of, treads on shame and honor a little bit, and I think we all want to live honorable lives, and yet uh, capital, corporatization, politics can actually put a veil in front of making those decisions. So internally, it's as if we're living one life, and yet externally, there's these forces for, uh, and they're very complicated. If you just dealt with that force, you would just sort of get wrangled up in the mess. You have chosen to like say, well, why don't we step back? Because we know that that force will naturally move around if we start with a love force, a networking force, and also raising the threshold of what people can do. A march is great, but if you do know a journalist of the New York Times, if you do know a US senator from Connecticut, all of a sudden that's much more uh, powerful. And so whenever you are able to use those dynamics, essentially what you're doing is is that you're using um, the tools of the outer world almost to to play, play off themselves a little bit. Right. And I love that because most people just go in the outer world and don't, and just get tangled up in the web and then sort of feel defeated.
0: I think that's a beautiful summation and you're totally right. Um, I think that's, you know, we, we challenge people, but in ways that they want to rise to them. We've never met someone who said, I don't know what I can do. Actually, I'm going to take it back. I love this. Um, I, I'm going to take it back. When we first had our first summit, we had a group of Saudi princesses who came to me. One of them said, um, it's so beautiful that you thought you would think of me, but in in truth, it's our brothers and cousins who are going to be the ones who will be able to make the biggest difference in, in their country because they will have access to the financial capital and the political capital that we don't have. And I thought, well, what kinds of capital do you have? And that was not an expected response. They were giving me a very honest, thoughtful comment. And 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 when I asked them, they said, well, a lot of people follow us on Instagram. Um, a lot of people know what we're up to. We're, we're trendsetters. So I said, well, what can you use with that? And they said, Rachel, you don't understand the region. Women don't have the right to drive or the right to vote. This is 2011. And a number of those princesses have now gone to, um, they've actually reached the the um, base camp at Mount Everest. They climbed it, got tons of press. Um, shortly thereafter, women got the right to vote in Saudi And um, not only the right to vote, but the right to run for office. And I think there were 38,000 women who ran for office um, that year in 2015. In 2017, women got the right to drive. Um, And you can see and you can trace for yourself that there were some stories and pictures and Instagram and whatnot of princesses who were driving. I mean, you can summit uh, base camp of Everest. It's hard to say you couldn't drive. You're doing a thing most men haven't done so even when people think that they might not be in the right position or they might not be the best placed person to make change in their family or their country i tell them okay so maybe you're not the best person what (laughs) what is your influence we all have influence i ask people sometimes to tell me who has someone who listens to them whether it's your kid or your neighbor or your dad or your mentee or whoever, or your social media followers, Who is anyone who listens to you? And if you have anyone who listens to you, you can make a difference. And so you have to decide what you stand for and you have to use that influence because there are people, they are listening, whether or not you know it. And if you're just posting, get this credit card or this is what I wore on Sunday. That's great. But sprinkle in a little bit of also, uh, you know, the news coming out in the past two weeks that people in China are being harvested for their organs, if they're religious, religious minorities, like at least get some news out there. If you don't have to take a stand and ask people to take an action, but get some news out there. But I also love asking people to take action. Um, that's not money related. I love anything you can do to change the world without spending a dollar. It's my favorite currency, is every other currency but money. Um, and I'm not talking about blockchain. Um, <laughs> but um, so, for instance, my favorite app in the world is called Charity Miles, it's a shameless plug for Charity Miles. If you don't download it, I'll give you a dollar, Gino. Download okay, it. Okay. So Charity Miles, you download the app for a dollar and every time you walk, run or bike anywhere, and I walk to work and home, I'm not very much, I'm I'm not a big walker, but you open up Charity Miles, you scroll through and you pick the nonprofit that you like, there's about 30, and there ain't one you don't got to like, and you pick the one and you put it in your pocket and you walk to work and then you push stop, and and if you don't push stop, it knows that you stopped, so I've tried that. I've tried getting in a car before and it's like, you can't run that fast. Um, But a, a corporate will donate money to the nonprofit that you chose just because you walked, ran or biked somewhere. So the idea that anyone can use their own two feet to make a difference on their regular day without having to have the day of a march or a marathon or an Ironman for a cause that they care about is exactly how I want people thinking all the time. What am I already doing? Like having a birthday. I often ask people in crowds, raise your hand if you have a birthday, which is the best question to ask because if you don't raise your hand, you're just not listening. Um, And if you have a birthday, donate your birthday to a cause. If If you walk to work, use charity miles. Like these are the easiest things we can do that make a difference when you add it up. In a massive way, and
1: that take very little effort. Do you sort? Do you see Nexus with this um, networked influence and changing things in a very uh, organic, loving way, and yet very strategic? And you see, in a lot of ways, do you see it contributing to a post-nationalist world to some extent? It, like it seems to me that while people are bunched up and you know, Africa table, Australia table, that inevitably the world is so intertwined. And yet the outer world, the political world, and even the industrialized world uh, puts up a lot of fences, right? And then we have a whole language around the fences. And essentially, a lot of responses that you are uh, responding to are built into this fear that um, plays into like controlling a particular landmass and a group of people and a particular value system per se. Just sort of understanding, I'm trying to understand where where Nexus and your guys' work, whether you intended it to be this way or not, it seems to me like it's really contributing to sort of a softening of the edges around nation states and more of a post-nationalist type of citizenry.
0: I think that that's probably true. I don't think it was our original intent. I mean, we hosted our first events with the UN, so we want to bring people together. The preamble of the United Nations does not say we the nations. It says we the people. And I think that that's really what we are focused on. We the people need to heal the Amazon. We the people need to break stigma around mental health. We the people need to empower women to have rights over their bodies. Um, And that's what I think we focus on. If they byproduct of that is that people start to see themselves as global citizens. I celebrate it. But I also am proud to be an American because of what America was founded for, um, just in the way that a lot of people are proud to be of a certain culture or heritage, even if they're not pleased with the way that their government is making laws. America was founded with a statue in the harbor that says, bring me your poor huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And I want to live in a country where people can breathe free and without fear. But when that isn't the case, I do think that the more we can see how we can be bonded together across these invisible nation states um, can strengthen us. Today is World Mental Health Day, 10, ten ten. 10 19 and we at Nexus are hosting 15 salons across 15 different countries to break stigma around mental health because the number one thing killing people under 30 is mental health and suicide. And so there are countries in which they wrote back and said, we can't hold a World Mental Health Day salon because mental health isn't a problem in our country that's recognized. There are no psychologists in two African countries because there's no such thing as depression or anxiety or post traumatic stress disorder. In post conflict countries, there's no post traumatic stress disorder. I was like, okay, that's interesting. So what do you want to call your salon? Do you want to call it well being? Like the salon needs to happen. Um, so we are pushing for people to work together across um, borders and to help scale initiatives really, really significantly that we've seen have success in certain regions into other regions. Um, But I don't think that we're saying front and center, we want you to adopt a global citizenship over your national identity. Our vision statement at Nexus is we imagine a just and sustainable world governed by the proposition that we're all in this together. And that I think does imply some level of all the hats that we wear of nationalism and, and, and capitalism and political party and affiliation religiously and family last name. If we're all in this together, let's just all drop the hats and, and, and hold each other's hands. And, and I do believe we try to model that a lot and, and it could be seen in many different ways. But I think that um, the more and more people embody we're all in this together the more they will start to realize that their neighbor is their friend and and there's neighbor on neighbor conflict and violence in the U S just as much as there is, uh, you know, between countries. So I think that uh, to even think that nationalism is the, is the root of the problem. Partisanship may be the root of the problem. Um, I'm working at a level that's kind of a soul level deeper than, than the problems that we're seeing. Cause I think they're symptoms of broken people and, and, who are looking for wholeness and community. I don't think that that the people who've risen to power in different countries uh, have been able to be elected because of the promises they made alone if people weren't already feeling broken and abandoned and unseen.
1: So see, when you talk about broken people, I agree. I think it's really um, a question of conduct almost more than capital at times. Um, And curious about how somebody, um, you probably lead a life that's about 18 times more active than myself. Um, yeah. and so how do you maintain those values of wholeness and sort of personal resiliency that, that you're, um, having honest conversations with, with yourself, that you're not acting out of compensation, but you're really, uh, you, you know, you're just not keeping yourself busy be, to not look at some issues that probably need to be looked at. But I mean, what kind of practice do you have to check the tyranny of busyness and the tyranny of activity for the sake of activity and the tyranny of quoting numbers and statistics and all that kind of stuff. And yet there's still uh, a woman, um, one woman in the middle of, you know, New York who walks the streets that sometimes still has, you know, certain chatters going on, uh, you know, within her, just like we all do. So just curious about your own wellness. And I mean, what kind of practice you have?
0: It's a great question. Um, My husband would say I'm very not good at um, not checking the phone because I don't see a difference between work and life. Um, My greatest joy is people texting me saying, who can you introduce me to? Who cares about such and such issue? I'm coming to town and who should I meet? And uh, I really don't see it as work. Um, I, I didn't get paid by Nexus for the first three or four years and I didn't care because this is all I felt I was on earth to do. And when you're living your purpose you don't see those lines. The problem is that the people close to you do. So. Um, so my husband will say, and he is a huge, successful tech entrepreneur with, you know, offices in three countries and travels on his own circuit. So he says, when we're together, can the people on the phone not be at the dinner with us? Um, so I have to learn those boundaries because they're not innate to me. It's my greatest joy when the phone rings. It's someone who has something I can help them with. Um, that's that's my instinct is how do I balance those that I love who do have strong boundaries on work and life balance with the fact that I don't feel the need for them. They don't stress me and I enjoy it. It's like as though um, Santa Claus gave me a new package every time I get a new email. I love it. Um, and so, so I have to think very strongly about um, there's a Jewish tradition called Musar, which is where you make an intention and you keep it for a month. Um, and my intention was recently, there is no one more important in my phone than the person I'm with right now. And, and I remember that. And I'm not always great at it, but when I say, oh, Mazar, then it comes to me, then I do it. And um, my grandma, who is a 99 year old minister, uh, was one of the first ever ordained female ministers in the US. And she died last month. And um, at every funeral that she's had, and I just went to funeral three this weekend because women are all over the world are loving celebrating her. The thing that I remember that everyone says is not all the things that she did. And she did many, many, many things. It's that they said, whenever you were with June, she made you feel like you were the only person in the world. And the most important person in the world. And so I want to try as much as I can to make whoever I'm sitting with, meeting with, whether it's my sister, my brother, my father, my husband, or Nexus members, or my team, I want to make them feel that. Because these people, after someone has passed away at three separate funerals, everyone got up and said that was the thing they remembered most. Not that she published a, a CD at the age of ninety playing Chopin, and not that she, you know, walked with Martin Luther King or whatever else she did. But it was amazing. They remembered the, how they how she made them feel that they were the most important person in the room whenever she saw them. And so I think that that is the most important lesson. And if I can get better at it, that is going to be how I will keep her legacy living on. Um, I think gratitude is a big piece of that. But I'm not someone who who exercises or does meditation or um, or my clothes as often as I should. On planes and trains every week, I'm I'm very small and lucky. I'm very lucky to be you know just about five feet tall, so I'm built for economy. And and I see all these things as positive. I can. I can sleep on any moving vehicle and I can also stay awake if I need to do work. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. And I think just counting blessings keeps you young and happy.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a nice story about your grandmother. <laughs> Thank you. It really is. I actually gave both of my eulogies for my parents and, um, really it came down to exactly that is like how they conducted themselves in the world more than what they owned or what they did. Um, but, uh, you know, their being status. And so it really warms me to just be, or to have that confirmed. And I really want to understand a little bit more about how, how's the Nexus membership dealing with wellness. And when, so when, so when you look around, um, again, um, there is a tendency for these gatherings to feel a little frenetic. Um, And I'm just curious about it's like, wow, are how deep is the Nexus membership looking internally and how much of the how much of their action is really being understood as like, no, this is really where my heart wants to go versus this is where I should go. This is where I'm supposed to go. Um, Yeah, just sort of curious about how Nexus members navigate that as a whole.
0: Great, great question. I think that us not putting name tags on or not putting affiliations on name tags just changes the whole nature of how people meet. They're not doing the name tag scan. They're not handing up business cards saying, what do you do? How can we work together? You know, are you valuable to me? I hate that when I go to conferences, what you put on your affiliation is, is how people judge, are you valuable to me? Are you worthy of a conversation? Should I sit down next to you or bring up a chat in a coffee you know, setting? It's just, it's absolutely disgusting because we are not where we work or who we are. So I think that that helps a lot to get people into a heart space and into a helpful space. Um, we do ask people in the first opening plenary ever in the world to turn to their neighbor and say, what's your passion? How can I help? And people are super uncomfortable. They're like, what do you mean? What's my passion? In the worst cases, people have said, could we use the word, um, interest? Cause it feels a little sexual in the least Asia. And I'm like, nope, it has to be passion. Cause I want you to be the thing that keeps you up at night. Um, and so we recently introduced our invest in yourself working group. Um, We recently introduced a biohacking wellness suite at our summits. And so when people have had a little bit too much of people or content – um, they use what I believe is the law of two feet. If you're not where your two feet want you to be if, and you're not getting anything out of a, a conversation or a plenary or a breakout room or a dinner, take your two feet somewhere where you're actually breathing and learning and living and, and doing what's making your heart happy. So our biohacking wellness suites include um, I, in a device called Beamer, which we sit on chairs and it puts infrared light into you that actually – recharges all of your cells. It includes um, hyperbaric oxygen tanks, which you can lay in by one or by 2s we We've got people who made friends laying in tanks together. It's hysterical. Um, it includes a lot of different modalities like that. we had acupuncturists. We've had masseuses. We've had personal intuitive coaches where you can sign up for 20-minute intuitive coaching sessions. Um, we have guided meditations. Deepak Chopra and Jennifer Morgan have led tons of guided meditations at our summits for people who want to opt out of a busy, crazy connectivity and opt into themselves. Um, and we've done, silent walks in the park as part of our, our global summits. We did forest bathing as part of our Asia summit where people went out for an hour into the forest and felt the grass on their feet. Um, we have a lot of Nexus members who are really into biohacking and using stem cells and exosomes and NAD plus and all sorts of things to optimize themselves and relax themselves. Um, we've had a lot of sessions about, um, Cannabis, we even had one about hallucinogens for health and pain uh, relief for for our parents and grandparents who are struggling and make us uh, really feel stuck. Uh, There's a lot that Nexus members are leaning on each other about to see what's cutting edge and helping people to tap into just meditation and their breath and all these other new cool modalities as well.
1: Oh, wow. There is a lot happening. I actually participate in those hyperbaric chambers and that – that mat that you talked about. I took a nap on that nap.
0: Yeah, you can just tune out. I do it. I do it every time. I'm, I'm the beamer for 20 minutes, and I'm in the hyperbaric for 20 minutes. Um, yeah. it's So nice, just not to one to have silence, um, even if it's not silent, you can find the silence, and two, just to to be seated and to be experiencing something that's just for you, because. Hmm ask you to be in the mode of helper, and the mode of how can I connect you. And so you do need to recharge that battery. And we don't think that that should be that you step out and go get a coffee or go home to your office for an hour. We want you to find a place to do that in the home that is Nexus.
1: Well, we are coming um, up to last couple minutes here. Rachel, is there something that uh, came up for you that... Um that either I shared or you shared that uh, you would like to sum up or wrap up or continue on before we close?
0: What I'm loving most is how your questions are not about what's the impact that Nexus has had and give me all the data and tell me how many summits and how many salons and how many countries and what's the difference in philanthropy that you're seeing trend-wise in Australia versus Israel versus Latin America versus Europe. These are the questions that I usually get. And the truth is that, the trends are that young people are owning their own ways of making the future better and brighter, and they're finding currencies of impact that people are not seeing or measuring. So if we're looking at those same scales of, of who's voting, who's running for office, who's who's donating to the same big institutions that need to keep their buildings on, who's showing up at the same religious uh, organizations that are now empty. Everyone's afraid, but I, I want to just say I'm not afraid because those are the wrong indicators. We're measuring people on a scale that's that's not the skill they're looking at, but. But people are are tuned in. They're having conversations that they weren't having five years ago. They're thinking about their purchasing power and their vote. And they're thinking about who is the most influential person that would take my call if I needed them to. And what would I say to them? They're using their birthdays. They're using charity miles. and, And I see so much hope, so much possibility. And I think we had to experience some moments of people realizing as a generation that they're needed for them to open their eyes. And I'm so grateful that their eyes are open. And I think they'll never shut. And I think we'll be feeling Mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful. um, I I guess a million seeds are being planted right now. And I think we'll be seeing beautiful gardens that there's flowers blooming for for decades to come.
1: You are one of the most bravest souls I know. That's beautiful (laughs) and very... It's uh, bravest and activist souls, I, you know, that I know as well. So um, thank you, everybody. We are here with uh, Rachel Gerald wrapping up um, the journey to impact. I'm Gino Borges and I uh, would like to thank you again for attending. Uh, we have um, Brahim Husseini coming up in a couple weeks. Hopefully you're able to join us for that. Uh, thanks again, Rachel. He's the best. <laughs> he is the best. I agree. <laughs> thanks so much, Rachel.
0: Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.